I'm very excited about this teaching today because we're going to talk about what will happen on the day of the rapture. Now, when I was growing up, everyone I knew believed in the rapture. And it could be the circles I ran in, the churches I went to. It was just a common theme. I mean, we talked about it from the pulpit. We had so many great songs in the hymn book about the rapture of the church, not to mention the Southern Gospel community sang songs about it. I mean, uh, it was just something that was common. No one questioned it. And now I've come to a day and time where people are actually questioning the validity of the rapture, and I'm a bit surprised by it. There was such a strong conviction in the air as, as throughout my lifetime that the, that the rapture of the church was real, that it was coming, and it wasn't something we feared. It wasn't something we were afraid of. It was something that we could not wait for. It was something we embraced with joy and anticipation and hope. It wasn't fearful, and people talk about not preaching about the rapture because it's scary. Well, that never even crossed our mind. The rapture wasn't scary unless you weren't ready. But in the church, when we were anticipating it, looking for the Lord's return, we were very happy about the subject. And we sang songs that were filled with rapture theology. One of the most popular and celebrated hymns of all time is a rapture hymn, a song called I'll Fly Away. I mean, everybody sings I'll Fly Away, and they probably don't realize that they're singing a rapture song because I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away, some glad morning when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. I mean, you know, it's, it's a song that talks about going up to heaven. Some people, I guess, would see that as a resurrection song, but we always saw Saw that as a rapture song. But there were some songs that were very distinctly rapture theology. Um, we would sing songs like, I can't fill it home in this world anymore. Um, there was one popular song by a group called the Happy Goodmans, if you've ever heard of them. And they sang a song called, I believe he's coming back like he said. It was very rapture oriented. Uh, there was a song called I'll See You in the Rapture, a very popular song that was sang in a lot of churches. That was just a, a, a beautiful uh, song that people sang. Most of the time is a special. A few choirs sang it. Uh, we used to sing hymns like I'm Getting Ready to Leave This World or uh, We'll Soon Be Done with Troubles and Trials. And how about this one? Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. You've probably heard that song in your lifetime. Uh, songs like Beulah Land, Meeting in the Air. There was, a, there was a, a, a very famous quartet song, if you're into quartet music, called I'll Be in the Rapture When He Gathers Us Home. And uh, it was just very popular. Even now, uh, I hear people singing songs like, Ain't No Grave Gonna Hold My Body Down. Well, you know, you can say that that's about, you know, the second coming, um, however you want to, however you want to uh, position that. But at the rapture, the dead in Christ rise up from the grave. And if you listen to the rest of the lyrics and ain't no grave going to hold my body down, you realize that you're singing a song about the rapture. Well, the Bible says in the last days that there are going to be scoffers coming and they're going to um, they're going to be asking the question, where is the promise of his coming? 
And I can tell you that's the day and time that we live in now. We live in a day where the pulpit is, has become a feel-good place of motivational speaking where people don't want to talk about anything scary, but just things that keep people coming out. Itching ears type messages are very common, unfortunately, in a lot of, in a lot of pulpits. So I want to take you to 2 Peter chapter 3. Now, our text is going to be in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16. And we're going to go there in a moment and break down everything that's going to happen at the time of the rapture. But to lay this foundation of the climate that we live in today, I want you to go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 through 6 first. Let me read this for you. Knowing this first that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They're going to say, I've been hearing that my whole life. My grandfather said it. His grandfather said it. Where is the promise of his coming? It says in verse five, for this they willingly forget that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished by flooded and was flooded by water. And what he's saying is that when God makes a promise, he keeps his promise. Uh, you can't say that this world exists from the time of creation because Noah's flood changed everything. So he's telling us that there's a group of people that is going to question and begin even trends of questioning the validity of the rapture of the church. Now, today, the world we live in, this time-honored theology of the rapture is under attack. I will be honest with you, some of my favorite preachers that I've loved listening to them teach have suddenly changed their mind. And now they say that the rapture is not in the Bible. People are making claims like the rapture was invented in the 1800s. Well, I'm going to address every one of those claims and hopefully we'll debunk the entire rapture claims before I end this teaching. Uh, these groups of individuals have almost incited a militant attack against those who refuse to believe in this theology. They arrogantly oppose in almost an adamant way, sometimes viciously and verbally attacking people and arrogantly attacking people who believe in this, who adhere to this tenet of the rapture. You know, feel-good pulpit say it's too, it's too scary to preach about. So they're going to avoid the subject altogether because they have to keep people coming back with itching ears who come for their spiritual candy. The Bible says in the last days that there will be people who could not endure sound doctrine. Well, this is a subject of sound doctrine. Personally, I don't feel like it's a scary subject at all. It is a message of hope, a message where the Lord said we should comfort one another with these words. So for this and many other reasons, I feel compelled of the Holy Spirit to do a series of teaching on the rapture of the church. And you're going to hear that for the, for, for the next several lessons. Now, here are some topics that I plan to cover. Is the rapture escapism, as some people claim? Or is the rapture taught in the Old Testament? Or how many words in Greek refer to the rapture? Because some people just choose one verse and say, oh, that's not applying to that. No, there's the rapture is taught all through the New Testament. 
Is the rapture something that was invented in the 1800s? Well, we'll take a look at that and I'll answer those questions. Did the early church fathers teach about the rapture? The answer is yes, even though some seminaries and many people who are anti-rapture will say absolutely not. Well, they need to do their research because I'm going to read you the quotes from several centuries of teachings of people from the early church fathers who taught about the rapture. Um, How about types and shadows of the rapture that are all through the Bible that tell the story and much, much more. So if you like teaching on the rapture or if you're just confused about it, you need to stay tuned to all of these lessons that are coming your way on the rapture. So here's, here's the one I want to talk about today. What will happen on the actual day of the rapture? Well, to understand this, you've got to realize, first of all, that the rapture and the second coming are not the same event. Now, most people, all Christians especially, believe in the second coming of Christ. Uh, they're looking for Christ to come back to this earth to set up his millennial kingdom. Well, you have to realize when you're reading an eschatological passage that some of the rapture passages and the second coming passages sound very similar because Christ is coming from heaven to the earth, but they're not the same. So the rapture is an event where Jesus comes in the clouds and then catches up the saints. They're caught up, which is where we get the word rapture from. They're caught up in the clouds with him to be with the Lord. There is no mention of them coming to the earth. In the second coming, Christ comes back with his saints. So the saints are already there and the Christ are coming back with the saints to the earth and they're going to set up the kingdom of God on this earth. So you can't get these two passages or these two ideas mixed up or you will misread into some of the passages in the Bible. Now, in this teaching, I'm going to go through a lot of passages. So uh, this particular one, this particular lesson is about one passage primarily, and that is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. So I want you to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, because this is where we're going to go. I'm going to stick with this for for the rest of our time here. But over the next few lessons, I'm going to be covering all of these other subjects and many, many other eschatological passages in the Bible. So let's start with with 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, keep in mind, there's no mention in this passage about coming to the earth, setting up the millennial kingdom and all the things that are going to happen. There's no mention of the battlefield of Armageddon. There's no mention of the seven years of tribulation. All these things that will precede the second coming of Christ. This is a separate event. So there are eight things mentioned in this passage that are going to happen on the day of the rapture. So let's look at them. Here's the first thing he says. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. So here's the first thing that's going to happen. Christ is going to come from heaven down to the clouds. Now notice this. He does not come to the earth. The prophecies about the second coming says he's coming back on a white horse. 
and that he's coming to Mount Zion and that his feet will touch Zion and the, or he will come back to the Mount of Olives actually at, at Mount Zion and the Mount of Olives will be split in two. Well, none of that is mentioned in this passage. This is not a second coming passage. This is a rapture passage. In this passage, there is no mention of the battle of Armageddon. There's no mention of a new kingdom. There's no mention of white horses. There's no mention of the saints coming back on white horses with the Lord. It is Christ coming to the air and the saints going up into the air to be with the Lord. Now, so the Lord himself will descend from heaven. He will remain in the air, according to 1 Thessalonians 4 and 17, and never touch the earth. This is a catching away into the air. Now, one of the lessons that I'm going to teach is going to show you that the rapture is not an event. It's a pattern. We've seen this before. It shouldn't be something that confuses us. We saw this happen with Enoch. We saw this happen with Elijah. We saw this happen with Jesus in Acts 1 and 11. This same Jesus, which you've seen taken up, will in like manner come back as you've seen him go. Jesus himself set the rapture pattern when he was taken up into heaven in a cloud. So the dead in Christ, according to 1 Thessalonians 4 and 17, are going to meet the Lord in the air. And then we which are alive and remain will go up the same way Jesus went up in the cloud. Now you're going to see that this rapture pattern is played out many times. The rapture of the church is not the only rapture. It's only the rapture of the church. You're also going to see the rapture of the 144,000. You're all, uh, and you're also going to see the rapture of the witnesses that come during the time of tribulation. These two witnesses that come to the earth. Read that passage slowly. They are raptured in the eyes of everybody. Everyone sees them going up in a cloud. So this should not be far-fetched theology for anyone to grasp because it's happened many times in the Bible and it's going to happen many more times. The rapture of the church is, is for a reason. It needs to create a vacuum on this earth for the Antichrist power to come into play and for God to play out the time of Jacob's trouble or the end of times, as we know, as some people call it, the seven years of tribulation. The rapture of the church is, creates this vacuum to bring the world together in these last day alliances to try to protect themselves. So keep in mind that the first thing that happens is the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Um, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, it says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Does it take any stretch of the imagination to realize you're reading a rapture scene, not the rapture of the church, a rapture, a caught up. That's all the word means. It means caught up. And I know some are going to say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Well, there's a lot of words. The word Bible is not in the Bible. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. There's a lot of words that we use to describe things that are not in the Bible. But the concept is, and the word caught up is the word that we're now calling rapture. So here is Jesus uh, very clearly being caught up on a cloud in their, in their sight. And then angels were present and said, Men of Galilee, why are you gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven, 
there you go, rapture will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So this was the rapture of Jesus that sets a pattern of the rapture of the church and the rapture of the two witnesses and the rapture of the 144,000 Jewish people and right on down. Every time a rapture takes place, it it, it creates a, a need or a void, and there's always a purpose for it. There was a purpose for Elijah being taken the way he was. There was a purpose for Enoch, the seventh man since Adam, to be taken. The Lord took him. He called him up. The Lord took Enoch, who was the seventh man, who set the pattern because seven is the number of completion. And we're going to cover all this later. Here's the second thing that's going to happen. So the first thing is the Lord is going to come from heaven. The second thing is the Lord will descend with a shout. Okay, you're going to hear two voices. You're going to hear an archangel speak, but also another shout. Now, this Greek word here for shout, the word uh, kaluma here in Greek means a, a cry of incitement, meaning that we are given a command to rally. It's the same thing that a commanding officer would give to his troops to get them to come together. Or rowers on a ship would, uh, would call out commands to get them to row together. It's a military term. It's basically calling soldiers together from their commanding officer. So the shout from heaven is not just a, uh, just a, a, a typical noise that you're going to hear. It is a command that you're going to hear. So imagine this, that Christ has ascended from heaven. You haven't seen that yet, but you're going about your daily routine. And all of a sudden you hear a voice Maybe call your name. You know, in Matthew 25 and 6, the Bible says at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go out to meet him. Maybe that's what we hear. Maybe we hear a voice from heaven saying, The bridegroom cometh, bride of Christ. Go out to meet him. That might be, what, that might be the, the thing that we hear. The Bible says in John chapter 5, verse 28, he says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the grave will hear his voice. So even the graves, those in the graves, because the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise at the rapture. So maybe, there, maybe we're all hearing him say, Come out and meet the bridegroom. We don't even know whose voice it is. What we know, it is a shout. A voice from a commander that is giving a command to the body of Christ. Now, this shout is followed up by another sound, which is the voice of an archangel. So after you hear the shout, then an archangel appears and says something. Now, if you read the book of Revelation, um, there's a lot of reasons why I believe that the book of Revelation clearly teaches the rapture of the church because you see the church represented in the first three chapters and then the church is not mentioned anymore after that. So you see the church on the earth in Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3, but in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, it starts by teaching this. After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like the sound of a trumpet saying, Come up here and I will show you things that must take place after this. And so, you know, that is where we understand after this is now the teaching that goes into the time of tribulation. That's what's going to happen after that door is open. 
So this open door in Revelation 4 and 1 is the rapture of the church in the book of Revelation where we're hearing the voice come up here. Now this is John on the Isle of Patmos being raptured in a moment. Now he comes back to tell us the story. This is more than a vision. He's caught up into heaven. And then he comes back to give us the revelation of Christ. But keep in mind that in this, in this particular story, it's the, the, the chronology of this, of, of this teaching shows us when the church will be raptured right before the seven years of tribulation begin. So maybe that's what the voice of the archangel says. Come up here. So imagine this. Imagine that you're in your house or driving down the road in your car. You're at work one day or working in your yard. And all of a sudden you hear a sound from heaven. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And then maybe you hear an angel standing in front of you saying, come up here. And you look up. And before you know it, you are begin, you, you're, you're starting to be caught up into the presence of the Lord, just like Jesus was, just like Elijah was, just like Enoch was, just like the two witnesses that will be lifted on the cloud, that the church now begins to rise. I just want to say thank you to all of our ministry partners who help us take the gospel around the world and train pastors and leaders around the world. Because of you, we have been able to do so much for the kingdom and expand the kingdom of God. Uh, I was able to train over 5,000 church planters just in the country of India alone. We've worked all through Africa as well as Europe. Uh, every year I go to Romania and train pastors and we've trained hundreds of pastors there in, in Romania. We've graduated over 3,000 pastors from programs, certificate programs, just in Central America. Uh, our teams and our, the young men and women that I've taken on the field with me, numerous uh, young ministers who I just want to give them experience and, and uh, help them to get their feet wet in ministry. We have gone around the world spreading the gospel, and none of this is possible without you. I just want to say thank you for your continued support, whether it's a one-time donation of any size or whether it is a, a monthly donation that you've decided to partner with us uh, monthly. I just want to say thank you for that. And for those of you that are looking for ways to give to this ministry, because it is a good seed to sow in, and we're doing things around the world, here's a screen that would tell you some easy ways that you can give to this ministry. But once again, I just say thank you from the bottom of my heart and from all of those lives that you are changing. It is my honor to be your ambassador to the world. Um, the next thing that happens, the fourth thing that happens on the day of the rapture is the archangel is followed up by the trump of God. So you've got three sounds so far. You've got the sound of the shout. You've got the sound, the voice of the archangel. And now you have the sound of the trump of God. Now, the Bible teaches basically two spiritual trumps, uh, trumpets that are used in the Bible. The first one is called a shofar. That's a ram's horn, a, a twisted, most of the time it's a twisted ram's horn. It's either curved or, or twisted. Uh, and then the second one is a silver trumpet that you will read about in the book of Numbers chapter 10, which was to be used by the priests. Now, 
Let's go with the first one first. So what is the sound that we're going to hear, this trump of God that sounds? Well, if I had to take a guess, I would guess it was the sound of the shofar. And there's a lot of reasons why I believe that. So in, when the story of the shofar goes back to the time of Abraham. Now, this is a rabbinical story. So this is what the rabbis teach. That when Abraham took Isaac up to the altar to sacrifice him, uh, there was a ram that was caught in the thicket. And so Abraham went over when, when Isaac said, you know, where is the lamb? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide the sacrifice. So where's the sacrifice? The Lord will provide the sacrifice. And if you know the story, you know, that Abraham was going to sacrifice his son. The angel came down and stopped it. And then there was a ram caught in the thicket for the sacrifice. So the Lord did provide it. Tradition says that Abraham cut off the, the horns of this ram, of the, of this ram, the two horns, and these became the first shofars and became highly symbolic in Jewish tradition for the blowing of the shofars. Um, it is, it is, um, shofars are used now for all sorts of things and, and especially uh, rabbinical worship and Jewish worship. So you see shofars announcing holy days, shofars at the beginning of uh, a Shabbat and, and at the beginning of Shabbat. You, you see shofars being blown for the feast of Israel. Uh, you have the feast of trumpets, which is the blowing of the shofars as well. As a matter of fact, uh, Jewish people, uh, I, I've been told this by some Jewish friends that a lot of Jewish people will carry a shofar in their, in their suitcase and they will blow it in a hotel before they sleep in the hotel. And the reason for that is because the voice of God sounds like a shofar on Mount Sinai. So when God calls Moses up, uh, there's this sound of a trumpet that they believe is the sound of the shofar. And then the Jewish people teach that the devil can't tell the difference in the sound of a shofar and the sound of God's voice because it sounds the same. So in their view of a shofar, it sounds like the voice of God. Well, the Bible says clearly in the book of Revelation that, that when God speaks, it sounds like a trumpet. And even the voice of many waters were heard in heaven. So, you know, I have no problem believing that that shout and that voice of an archangel was followed up by the sound of God calling his children home. And it could either be an actual shofar or the sound of a shofar that is blown. Uh, if, if, you, if you look at the silver trumpets, um, the reason I don't believe that would be the silver trumpets, and it could be, but the reason I, I personally don't believe that is because they were used distinctly for battles on the earth. So if you blew the silver trumpet one time, all of the heads had to gather. I will say this, the silver trumpets were a gathering tool. So if you blew the silver trumpet one time, all the princes and all the heads of the tribes would come together at the, at the tent of meeting and meet together. If you blew two silver trumpets at the same time with distinct sounds, all of the people in the camp gathered together. So what's interesting about that is that the silver trumpets were gathering tools. So who knows? It may be the sound of the silver trumpets, which would be more distinguishable uh, to a lot of people who, who are not familiar with the sound of a shofar. The, the silver trumpets also announced the year of Jubilee and 
technically that's what the rapture is. It's our freedom from this earth. It is when we get a new body. It is, it is when we get our, a mind renewed as the mind of Christ. So it would seem appropriate that the trumpets would blow when we are gathered together to meet him in the air. Now, the, the voice of God is often sounds like a trumpet, and that is why uh, the Jewish people believe that the shofar is the closest sound that you will ever get to the sound of God. In Exodus 19 and 19, listen to this verse. It says, and when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. So it was a trumpet. Now, keep in mind, we're not here yet. We're going to talk about types and shadows later. But what you're going to see is God calling Moses to the mountain at Mount Sinai. And what you see is a cloud descending on the top of Mount Sinai. Then you see the judgment of God around the mountain and the people are held back. If they walk across the line of judgment, they will die. God had them to stay so many, vo so many places back. But when the trumpet sounds, Moses and Joshua walk across the line of judgment and walk up the mountain into the cloud to meet with God. That is a very, very clear type of rapture where Moses is walking into God's presence, invited by the sound of the trumpet and the voice of God walks through the judgment representing the tribulation on this earth and the people are held back from that. But God has two people, two is the number of Jesus. So you have Moses and Joshua that walk up this mountain and they're walking into the presence of God uh, there at, at Mount Sinai. So it's an amazing, amazing rapture typology. Here's the fifth thing that's going to happen on the day of the rapture. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. Now, um, we've read that all, already out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. But I want you to hear this from another passage uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, this is verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound. Does any of this sound familiar? For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, he says, then it shall be brought to pass the same that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now, for all of those people that don't believe in the rapture, you need to, you need to explain, when do you think this is going to happen? When are we going to be caught up in the middle of the, in the, in the twinkling of an eye? When is the trumpet going to sound and we're going to be caught up and the dead are going to be caught up and then we're changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye? Well, we're caught up in the twinkling of an eye, then we're changed. That is the point where our bodies take on immortality. This corruption is taken away, incorruption is taken away, and, and we are now changed into an immortal 
person or an immortal creature in God's sight. This happens in the middle of the air. This does not happen when you get to heaven. This happens at the gathering of Christ. So, you know, here's my explanation or my question, I guess, for those who don't believe in the rapture. When is that going to happen? Do you believe that it's going to be this big U-turn? Because either there's a rapture or there's got to be a time where there's this big U-turn in the sky. We're caught up, we are changed, and we come back down. Well, you can put that in that sequence if you want, but the Bible tells us the book of Revelation that at the second coming, Christ comes back with tens of thousands of his saints riding on white horses. So how are you going to put, how are you going to marry all of these events without a rapture? Do we just, do, do the dead come back with Christ and white horses and then we just go up and come straight back down? That does not make any sense. And it does not fit into the theology of Scripture. What does fit in the theology of Scripture is that the saints are raptured and we go to the beam of judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb and then we come back with Christ at the second coming of Christ. That makes sense. It fits into Scripture perfectly and beautifully and aligns itself properly with the chronology of eschatology of Scripture. So uh, let's go into the sixth thing that is going to take place. The sixth thing that's going to take place on the day of the rapture is those who are living will be changed. Okay, I just read that, but let me just read a portion of it to you again. I just read that out of 1 Corinthians 15, but I want to pick back up on verse 51 and explain a couple of things to you. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Okay, so let's stop right there. The word change. We shall be changed. We used to sing songs about that. We used to sing songs about we shall be changed in the moment of the twinkling. I mean, we, we were singing this very, very verse in many of our old hymns. The word change is the Greek word uh, alasso, which actually means to be transformed into something else. It's a metamorphosis that takes place. I was this and now I'm no longer this. I'm now that. So it, the word literally means a transformation. You know, I, I don't want to give any credits to any kind of movies because honestly, I've never even seen this movie. I've only seen it advertised. But there's this, there's this series of movies that the kids watch called Transformers. And it's basically where... I think they're automobiles. These automobiles become robots, fighting robots. And they might be, some of them might be planes and other kinds of things, but it's called transformers. Well, they get their name because they were this, now they become that. Same thing is going to happen to us. There's a transformation that's going to take place in our life where mortality puts on immortality. Corruption puts on incorruption. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, hallelujah, we shall be changed. So that's the word change, to be transformed. How about the word moment? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Well, the word moment comes from the Greek word atomos, which is, means an atom of time. So think about an atom, okay? A-T-O-M, an atom, the, one of the smallest components of, of, of all matter. And so in an atom of time, something that fast, so quickly. There's really no way to describe what the writer is trying to say. So the closest thing we can get to is the measurement of an atom, which is 
quicker than you can you, you can't even see an atom. So that lets me know that the twinkling of an eye is as is as explainable as you see in an atom is explainable. So in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. Now, outside of our human body, you know, we're going to have immortal bodies. And there's a lot of descriptions of celestial beings doing things at the speed of light. For instance, in Ezekiel chapter 1, where they saw the angels, they were seraphim in Ezekiel 1, they were moving like lightning. It said that when they moved, it looked like flashes of lightning. They were moving so fast. Now, if light can move at 186,000 miles per second, that means it can go around the entire earth seven and a half times per second. Seven and a half times per second, it can move around the earth. That's how fast you and I can probably move in a brand new body. Or at least that's how fast we're going to be in his presence. We're going to hear the shout. We're going to hear the voice of the archangel. We're going to hear the trump of God. And so there is the preparation time. So think about this. I don't think you're just going to be, you're going to disappear. I think there's a stage that is set. I think you're going to hear the shout. Well, I know you're going to hear the shout. You're going to hear the voice of the archangel. You're going to hear the trumpet sound. So it's like, okay, get ready because here we go. We're getting ready to leave. And then in the, moment, in, the in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you will be changed into your immortal body and meet him in the air. So here's number seven. We who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet them in the air and let's go ahead and look at verse uh, number eight. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. No mentioning there of coming down to the earth. We shall be called up to meet them in the air is what he says. And then it does not say we're coming straight down. It doesn't say there's a white horse waiting on us that we're going to get on a white horse and we're going to come back down. It does not say we're going to Jerusalem. It does not say the Mount of Olives is going to split. It does not say that we leave there and go to the battlefield of Armageddon. All of those things have to happen in the chronology of time. All of those things have to happen. So when does this happen? Well, I believe that we're caught up. This is the rapture of the church. I believe we go to heaven. I believe that there we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. I believe that we have the beam of judgment of Christ. And then I believe that we will be dressed in white apparel, as the Bible says, riding on white horses, and we will come back with Christ at the second coming. So these are the eight things. He says that we will ever, forever be with the Lord. That's why Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Hallelujah. I just want you to hear that. I will come again and receive you unto myself. He doesn't just say that I'm coming again to make a place for you on this earth. That's going to happen in the millennial reign. But in this language here, he says, I will come again and receive you unto myself. When does that happen? When does Christ come to receive us unto himself? That where I am, there you may be also. And where is he? He's in his father's house. He's in heaven. That verse right there, we shall ever be with the Lord, gives us this beautiful promise that we're going to be with Christ. Oh, yes. 
I believe there's a millennial reign still coming. I believe there's seven years of tribulation still coming. Now, does the rapture of the church begin the seven years of tribulation? No, it doesn't. The seven years of tribulation begins with a peace treaty in Israel. That's what begins the seven years of tribulation. So when is the rapture going to take place? I believe it can take place anytime. I don't think we're waiting on anything to happen. If, if you ask me, what do you think is about to happen on this earth? This is what I would tell you. I think we're about to see two things simultaneously happen at the same time. I think you're going to see the world in chaos. I wish I could tell you this world, the governments of this world are going to, are going to you know, not be corrupt. But I don't think that's the truth. I think we're going to see more corruption. I think we're going to see more lawlessness. I think we're going to see more lascivious living. I think we're going to see more lying. I think we're going to see more pride. I think we're going to see more destruction. I think we're going to see more crooked politics. I think we're going to see all of that. But at the same time, simultaneously, I also believe we're going to see revival happen in the church. And I believe personally that this revival is God's final altar call to this earth before the rapture of the church. Some people say that they don't believe the Bible teaches a last day revival. Well, I believe that it does. And I believe I can show you that in many places. It can prove that to the writings of the prophets of Joel, the prophets of Malachi. I can, I can show you that through patterns that have happened. Even going all the way back to Noah's Ark. And the message that went out before the door of the ark was shut. You know, that's another type and shadow of the rapture. And we'll get there eventually. We're going to go through all of these together. But right now, I want you to understand that the rapture is going to happen. And you don't have to believe in it. You don't have to be watching and waiting. But I would hope that you would not miss the rapture because you chose not to believe in it. The Bible doesn't say that the rapture is just for the saved. It says it's for the watching and waiting. So I hope and pray that this teaching and the teachings that will follow this will help you understand the importance of looking for the return of Jesus Christ in the sky. Because the rapture is going to happen. And I, I, I know I sound a little emphatic, but whether you believe it or not, it's not going to stop the Lord from fulfilling scripture and fulfill his promise. I will quote the words of Howard Vestal Goodman <laughs> as I close. I believe he's coming back just like he said. I believe that a trumpet's going to sound so loud one day it's going to wake the dead. In the twinkling of an eye will split the eastern sky for I believe He's coming back, just like he said. Hallelujah. And I cannot wait for that moment.